Good morning, Cornerstone. Would you stand with us as we worship together? Show 
prayer today as we continue in worship is that we would just be overcome by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as this um, song says in the bridge that we're about to sing, it says, let us become more aware of your presence. And I think that's just such an important thing to ask God for, that he would make us aware of his presence, not just as we sing, but as we listen to the word, as we go into our daily lives. Let's sing this. There's nothing worth more that would ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living home. Your presence, Lord. And I've tasted and seen. Of the sweetest of less when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Sing Holy Spirit.
exalted. Be exalted now in the heavens as your glory fills this place. You alone deserve our praise. You're the name above all names. Be exalted now in the heavens as your glory fills this place. You alone deserve our praise. You're the name above all names. Be exalted now in the heavens as your glory as we study worship today, Lord, would you open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us, and may we walk away ready to just praise you every day, God. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Doing well today? Me too. We, we have a great service for you today. Okay, she moved that. Great service for you today. It's full, so I have several announcements, and then um, some guests are going to come up. Good, good um, let's get moving here. Let me get my announcements going. I'm sorry. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm the pastor here. If you're visiting, it's wonderful to have you. Truly wonderful. I'll be outside afterwards. I'd love to introduce myself to you, meet you, answer any questions you might have. So here's the announcements. First of all, tonight is worship night. In fact, the whole service today is geared towards moving to that. Um, Daryl and I are going to co-teach a sermon on worship. So we're excited about this. Be nice to Daryl. He's worked very hard on this. Also coming up, the Ornelas' barbecue. The, the, how, what do we call that again? Put, put that slide up if you would. The Bye Bye Barbecue, that's right. On the 23rd, that we're going to have a, um, a barbecue outside after church, like 4 in the afternoon. It's going to be a blast just to say goodbye to Deborah and Mario and, and the kids. They're not particularly leaving immediately, but that's the opportunity we're taking to honor them and say thank you. And, and with that comes, with that comes um, 
the 23rd, Deborah is doing a thing with the kids where the kids are memorizing the books of the Bible and all the children of the church are going to be up here reciting the books of the Bible. And so if you have children and you want part of that, make sure you get them involved downstairs with Deborah so they can learn the books of the Bible. And I guarantee you, how many of you adults would say, you know what, I, I, I can't remember the books of the Bible? So, so I see, you know, a third of the hands going up. Um, when a five-year-old does it, it really makes me feel kind of um, lazy. Because that's what it is for me, really. So it's really cool when our kids do that. Um, in light of that, in light of that, go ahead and put that slide up. No, go ahead and put the slide up for the kids. We, the elders, and we put a committee together to help us, have hired Deborah's replacement. And I want to introduce to you Jessica Umana over here. Jessica, stand up. Jessica <clears throat> is going to be um, um, starting with Deborah this month to, to work alongside of her, and then she'll take over in June when Deborah's done. And Jessica will be outside with me afterwards. If there's any questions you have for her about who she is, her passion, her, her desires, what she wants to see happen in children's ministry, please come out and say hello to her. She's really a nice lady. So come on out. So, so then the, ne the next thing is the I Am They concert is coming up. Tickets are now available. You can go online and buy your tickets. Um, so you'll be hearing about this a lot because this is going to be an exciting thing for our church. I'm looking at my list here. Hey, Mario, why don't you come on up? Mario, Mario has been the Young Life Director in North Tahoe for longer than I've been here, six, seven years now, Mario. And this church not only supports Young Life and Mario, um, Mario loves this church. And so Mario asked me if he could come up and just thank you all. So Mario, talk to us. <clears throat> well, like Tony said, my name's uh, Mario, and it's been a, an honor and, and privilege for us to, to live and, and serve in this uh, community. And I just wanted a, a chance. I know, uh, you know, there was an email that went out and some different announcements, and I wanted uh, to kind of just address the church on, on my family's behalf. I don't want to steal any of Deborah's thunder. She will be talking on the 23rd and get, get her chance to, to share with you guys. But um, like I said, it was, <clears throat> it's been an honor and, and privilege, and uh, we're looking forward to the Bye Bye Barbecue. I heard the musical guests will be in sync, you know, bye bye bye. Um, if you don't get that, maybe ask one of your kids or something like that. Um, thank you, thank you. Um, but I, in uh, sync is a band, Tony. You know, it's I a, am. It's a band, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't in sync on that one. But I, in this time frame of, of reflection uh, and just kind of looking back and being uh, so thankful for, for, uh, for so much uh, um, that the Lord uh, has done, and even uh, we got a chance to meet with some friends over the weekend and even reflect on the six and a half years ago as the Lord was bringing us here and, and so many different uh, moments in time where the Lord was orchestrating uh, so many things. And, um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, we've been here for a little over six years, but seven, eight years, I didn't even know where Lake Tahoe was on a map, uh, if I'm honest. I, I visited Donner Lake, and I thought that was Lake Tahoe. And uh, I was like, that's nice, but it's not that big, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and how the Lord orchestrated so much for us to be here. And my, my wife 
and kids would say this is this has been the best six years of our lives you know and as a family it's the longest place we've we've ever lived and so my kids as we're me and Deborah are making our transition back to what is our home our kids are saying well that that's not our home <laughs> uh, Uh, Tahoe has, yeah, allergies up here, man. The, the air is a little different on the stage. Uh, thank you, Mike. Um, the, our kids would say this is their home. And, and, and I would say for us and our family, uh, a part of our heart will, will always be here. Um, but so many different variables to, to our transition and all good variables, but just really the Lord um, uh, really impressing on us in this season. It's, it, it, it's time for, for me and uh, my wife to, to to be a little closer to family. And my, my parents are, are, are getting up in age, and so is Deborah, and, and just wanting this season to, to be around family. But it's amazing how the Lord works. Um, I end up taking a job that's gonna allow me to be, you know, um, eight, nine months in Texas, and then three or four months in Tahoe. And um, we're, I'm working for a family that are helping develop uh, a couple of properties on the West Shore, one of them, one of them being a kid's camp. Uh, like a retreat center so they've asked me to, to step in and help and so um, you'll hear more about that later on but we're excited about that but um, I'll, I'll close with with really three things one is um, as I've been in reflection you know I think of the the passage in, in Luke 17 where Jesus has this encounter with the ten leopards right and and in that encounter he heals all of them he says go show yourself to the priests and in the process of that they're all healed, all 10 of them. And, and only one comes back and, and to, to thank Jesus. And Jesus says, weren't there, weren't there nine others? You know? and, I, and, I, and I think in my life and ministry, there's been times where I've, many times I've been a part of that nine where just reflecting on God's goodness and I just go and kind of forget, you know, man, thanks God, well, see you later, you know? And, and wanting to stop and, and really pause and reflect and, and to, to be the one that comes back and says, thank you to the Lord, thank you to this church. Uh, thank you to the community. Um, and and we, we've been uh, overwhelmingly uh, blessed and, and we're thankful. And so um, I ask for your prayers. We're, we're, we're making a, a transition from uh, Young Life and it's in great hands. We, our committee chair, Brent Biznar, who's a member here, um, Brittany Loza, raise, Brittany um, is our, our Young Life staff person for Incline. Uh, Will Sinnott, who you know as well, is our staff, who's a member here, who's a, our staff person for North Tahoe. And just some fun transitions are happening uh, with Young Life. I ask for your continued support uh, for, for them as individuals, for the organization. Um, we wanna continue to expand the kingdom here all over the lake with, with kids and families. And then, uh, and then I just ask for your prayers for our family in this transition. We've got a lot of moving parts. Um, we're we're going to be blessed. We're going to take a sabbatical for the month of June, and then we'll be, we'll be back around here a little bit for the month of July, and then I start my new job um, on the West Shore here in August. So we'll be here all the way to the end of August, and then we'll make our transition to Texas in September. So thank you, Tony. Thank you, church. Really appreciate it. Let's, let's just um, <clears throat> go ahead and hold that to the scripture. So, Mario, this is what I pray for you. Th thank you. Lord, first of all, we thank you for Deborah and Mario 
and the ministry you've done through them to the people of North Tahoe and especially the children and teens, Lord. Just ask what he asked for, Lord. We want to pray for them, both their transition from this ministry to the next ministry, for their family, for their kids going back to Texas, all that, Lord. Just bless them mightily, protect them. Use them for your purposes, Father, as you have here wherever they go. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So Mario, you, you know who Billy Crystal is, right? He's, he's an actor my age. He, he, this is what he would say, Mario. You're looking marvelous. Yeah. <clears throat> this is the last thing. I apologize for the long announcements here. We got an email yesterday from our ministry in India. And we support, um, this church supports a, a ministry in India. And it's called India for India... Good news for India. I apologize, I looked down. COVID has risen its ugly head in India and is um, wreaking havoc over there. And so we have this long email. I'm not going to read it all to you, but this particular ministry trains pastors to go out into the field. And, and part of what they're associated with is a Christian hospital that the government has now said, we, we are appointing this Christian hospital, which does not get money from the government, as a COVID hospital. And they do not have the resources to take care of the people that are coming. Um, they, they say 50% of Indians right now have COVID, and many are dying. They're not even being counted because they're dying at home because the hospitals are full. So they're trying to raise $100,000. So Barry and I were talking about it earlier that we want to put that before you. They've already got a donor that's given 20000 and they're trying to raise $100,000 to assist this hospital in getting things for oxygen and different medicines and, and, and things as simple as masks and stuff. So as you think about your resources and your blessings, consider making a donation um, to the ministry in India. Um, any other questions afterwards, ask myself or Barry back there. Father, we ask, um, first of all, we thank you. Above all, we want to be grateful for who you are, the gifts you've given each one of us, the blessings of our lives, our jobs, everything we have, Father, thank you. We are grateful. And just ask that you use us mightily for your purposes and your glory. Um, so we, we, we give you praise this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Daryl and I are going to talk about worship. So I want to start this off before Daryl comes up. And what I want to do is ask you to just, just talk back to me for a minute. Define worship. What does it mean to worship? Okay, praise. That's a synonym. Praise and worship. Honor and glory. Say again. Thanksgiving. A moment to reflect on his wishes. Interesting. I like that one. Recognize God for who he is. Even if it messes with our world, can who he is? Doesn't matter. He, he says who he is and we recognize him. Acknowledge the presence of God, the song we just sang. Yep. In fact, in fact it's interesting, uh, Mike. In Exodus 33, Moses, God is fed up with Israel and says, Moses, my angel is going to go with you, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, if your presence is not with me, I'm not going. So that's very interesting. Moses said, I want your presence. 
I was thinking of that when we were singing that song, Elena. A couple more of you. An attitude. Gratitude. An attitude of gratitude. Mike. Opportunity to hear from the Lord. Okay, so I want you to keep all these in mind. And when we look at the Psalms, we're going to talk about some of the Psalms. We're going to read some Psalms during communion today that are about worship. The Psalms have five or six different Hebrew words to describe worship, praise, adoration, things like that. And my Hebrew professor in seminary, he wrote a book on it, and he said every one of these words are words that describe verbal. It's something we do out loud. God wants to be praised with our voices. You get to the New Testament, the primary word for worship is the idea of bowing down. It's by getting down on your knees, getting down on your face before the Lord. It shows a submission of your heart. So there's a, lot, there's a whole lot in the Bible about worship. Daryl's going to come up and share some things that's been on his heart for a while about worship. And, and, and um, um, so thank you, Daryl, very much for stepping into this role with me today. Well, thank you for letting, allowing me to yeah. share. And, and know, I'll come back up in a few. Thank you, Daryl. Worship has um, been a big part of my life. And what a great day it is to have a night of worship tonight. Um, I'll never forget the words of Rick Warren in his Purpose Life book. Worship is the only thing we do here that we're going to do in heaven for all eternity. So what a great experience to enjoy his presence in the service this morning. And then we get to come back tonight and really dive deep into worship as well. So I thought what would be beneficial to speak about worship and maybe highlighting a few things that... Uh, we might have turned into alternates of worship. And so we're going to look at three alternates for worshiping instead of the Lord Almighty. And the first one is we could worship other deities. Now, that's not necessarily a practice in our culture, but throughout the whole Old Testament, there are countless stories about uh, other deities and other gods. And, you know, early on, uh, the Philistines and the Israelites were always battling back and forth. There's some great stories. I think Hollywood would do phenomenally well with some of those stories. Although if Mel Gibson made them, they'd probably be pretty gory, but accurate. But anyway, 1 Samuel, I want to highlight one of the stories in 1 Samuel. Um, the Philistines and the Israelites are battling, and the Philistines had a god called Dagon. And so that's who they worshipped. And uh, this one time, the Israelites, you know, the story of the Israelites, one generation, they'd be worshiping God down on their knees, giving praise and glory. The next generation, complacency, call their own shots, do their own thing, they get away. Their enemies and their neighbors annihilate them. They fall back on their knees, God, we need you. And the next generation writes itself. And it's just back and forth, back and forth. They could never get it right. And uh, it's kind of like my life. I can never get it right. And so this particular battle, the Israelites and the Philistines, they kind of lined up together, and the Philistines beat them, killed 4,000 of the Israelites. The Israelites regrouped and said, what the heck is going on? How come the Lord allowed us to lose? Let's take the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord with us. Surely we will win this time. So they go into battle again, get annihilated. 30,000 Israelite soldiers die, and the Philistines steal the Ark of the Covenant. Tragedy. All right, so let's pick up the story in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5. We'll read a few verses. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge, he had a place back there, Ebenezer to Ashdod, 
Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and they put him back in his place, but the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and his hands had been broken off and they were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who uh, enter Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon our God. So they called on together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, what should we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel. But after they'd moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. Now, can you imagine if Arnold Schwarzenegger lived in that town, and he stepped outside of his home, and all his neighbors are outside, and they turn and they look at him, and he shouts at them, it's not a tumor. And they yell back, yes, it is. It is a tumor. Thank you, Frank. All right. This is for you, Frank. And if you didn't get that, maybe you're just too young. So let's keep reading. Verse 10. So they sent out the ark of God to Ekron. The ark of God was entering Ekron. The people of Ekron cried out, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel around us to kill us and our people. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and they said, send the ark of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy on it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors in the outcry of the city went up to heaven. Now one would think, if you ran into a God that was more powerful than your God, you might want to rethink who you're worshiping. But the Israelites, or, or the, the Philistines, like many cultures, had an idea of creating their own deity that they could really use as a genie in the bottle type of a scenario. The Israelites knew exactly who they worshipped, the God Almighty. And they also understood, leading up to this whole battle, they had started going astray and making their own decisions. And this type of scenario, especially in this story, righted them, and they realized what they had done. So they read on in verse 13, Now the people of Beth Shemeth were har uh, harvesting their wheat in the valley, and when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The ark came to the field of Joshua, Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped by a large rock. The people chopped up the wood, the cart, and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on the large rock. Now the Philistines, when they sent the, the ark back to the Israelites so that all of the tumors and the deaths would stop, they send it with a gift. They said, well, what kind of gift should we give it? Well, they, they cast gold little statues of tumors and rats. Now, I don't know if that's a backhanded compliment or what. They were made out of gold, but tumors and rats are what they got. So those are the gold objects. Pretty bizarre. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. And so... You know, the Philistines were like many cultures and peoples who worshipped the God of their own making, that genie in the bottle, and the Israelites knew exactly 
uh, who the Almighty God was and what they needed to do to get on their knees and get themselves right before the Lord. Now, like I said, we don't necessarily deal with multiple deities and gods in this country, but there are cultures still around the world, uh, India being one of them. Tony highlighted that to, uh, to me earlier in the week as we were talking about this. Hundreds of gods that they have uh, created that are a part of their culture, and um, it's something that uh, really disappoints our Lord. But something that's closer to us, another um, distraction, we could get to worshiping the stuff that we value and all kinds of things. Look at the creation. Look at where we live. I mean, who, who wouldn't blame somebody to be out on the slopes or on a hike on a Sunday morning instead of church? It's just beautiful. Or what about the stuff we accumulate? We put a lot of value in things that we create, that we earn, that we accumulate. We're great accumulators. That's what this culture is known for. Well, let's read about uh, an engagement between Jesus and a guy who owned a lot of stuff. Matthew 19, verse 16, it says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I, get eternal, uh, what must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you should not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. All these have I have kept, said the young man. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And I remember Tony teaching on that um, passage and the word perfect. That's always tripped me up. How can I be perfect? But what Christ is saying there is if you want to be like me, if you want to be like Christ. That's why his disciples were following him. That's why this guy was inquiring. What do I need to do? And you look, at his, look at his question. What good thing must I do? You realize that every other religion requires you to do in order to earn the eternal life. Christianity is the only religion that says, it's done. My son paid the price for you. But this young rich man had accumulated and he had earned and he had done, and that's how he had accumulated. So he wanted to know what he could do in order to, to uh, earn eternal life. Imagine his dejection when he left. He must have thought, doesn't he know how hard I've worked to earn all I have? John Rockefeller was the founder of Standard Oil Company. He was the United States' first billionaire and at one time the richest man in the world. And I'm sure you know this part of the story. At one time in an interview, a reporter asked him, how much money is enough? And Mr. Rockefeller said, just a little bit more. So this insatiable appetite of creating for ourselves never ends. I just re recently read an article that uh, said that a new billionaire is created every two days. So we know how to earn. Look at what Jesus' response was to his disciples as, as they all witnessed this engagement with this, uh, with this rich man. In verse 23, Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And we're not necessarily talking about the, value, the, the riches themselves, but what value do we place on those riches? And this rich man walked away sad.
because he was a man of great wealth. So that's one thing that could possibly trip us up, but it, it's not always wealth that does that. Pride is a big contributor, and that's another alternative to worship. We could possibly end up worshiping ourselves. I'm so important. You start creating success, and you start reading your own press, and before you know it, you're a legend in your own mind. And uh, it, it's captivating. And you look at our leaders in, in the world today and in our own country. Do you know it's political suicide to admit that you are wrong? You can't have a politician or a leader admit. It's always the previous administration's fault. The previous administration blamed everybody else. It's, it's political suicide to admit uh, any type of fault, transparency. And so you get to the point where you start buying into, maybe it is all about me. Jesus was, uh, was, was teaching again, and, and uh, another part in Matthew, he was uh, talking about the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of that day. And in chapter 23, verse 5, he says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. Say that word with me, phylacteries. Say it again, phylacteries. That's the only two times in your life you'll ever say that word. It means prayer box. And so the priests would wear prayer boxes either on their forehead or around their neck, on their, on their chest. And of course, the more righteous you are, the bigger prayer box you had. And so they were quite proud of their phylacteries. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace. I'm sorry, verse 6. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. And they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. So you don't have to be wealthy to have pride. My whole career in uh, ministry was in worship. And... Um, this is, this is year 31 for me. And um, I got to a point of tremendous pride in my career. And I have a section of my a life, a chapter of my life, that um, I dug a very deep hole for myself and my family. And I made some very poor choices. And one of the ministries I was serving at at the time that uh, ended abruptly and harshly and properly um, one of the elders, kind of an exit interview, came up to me and he said, Daryl, you have a real pride issue. And you know what? I was offended. I thought, how in the world could I have a pride issue? I have worked my hardest to protect this stage from any type of arrogance or haughtiness. In fact, the people that I auditioned to be a part of the worship team, I said, if you can't play your part behind a curtain without your name in the bulletin, and be okay with that, we can't use you. It's not about us. But what I got lulled into thinking, and reading my own press, uh, creating my own success with all of the big productions that we did, large choirs and full orchestras and 90-minute worship musicals, I got to a point where I could make it happen. I could see not only the big picture, but I could see every detail and make it happen. And uh, we had a lot of success. I created a lot of success, a lot of great productions and great programs. And as I look back, I took very few of those 
before the Lord. I was so intent on my plan of building the kingdom, I never checked in with the king to see what his plan was. And so, this pride issue. And uh, for about three years, I kept hitting layers of bottom. And about two years into it, and I've never been accused of being the sharpest tool in the shed. It took me a couple of years to figure out what he meant, that elder meant. It wasn't an arrogance or a haughtiness on stage. It was a belief that I could make anything happen at any time, and I didn't need to check in with anybody. And that leveled me. I realized, I didn't have these words at the time, but I realized I had been worshiping me, what I could do in my plan for the kingdom. It's an easy trap that we get into. And it's one worth examining as we look forward to uh, a night of worship tonight. And as you um, just examine your own life and the decisions that you've made, you're probably not worshiping another deity. Are you worshiping stuff that you value? You find pride in your life where you're actually enhancing yourself. Let me end with this, and we'll have Tony come back up. We should be worshiping the Almighty God because He is the creator of the beauty around us. That's not a bad backyard, is it? We should be worshiping the Almighty God because He gives us everything we have, everything we have, including good health. This is my grandma Alma. In July, she turns 102. Sharp as a tack, you don't dare get into a battle of wits with that young lady. We should be worshiping the Almighty God because even when His plan for our life and those we love are not what we expect. And this is my cousin's boy, Jacob, calling my nephew, Jakey. Um, he went home to be with the Lord 10 years ago. At the age of seven, after eight open-heart surgeries. Um, excruciating pain for the family. And we have no answers. But we know that we believe in the Almighty God and we trust His plan. We know that Jakey is with Him face to face. And lastly, we should be worshiping the Almighty God because He is the Almighty God. Amen. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Daryl. One of the verses Daryl had put in the message that, that I'm going to read it now, that kind of covers some of your stuff. Job, you guys know the story of Job. After Job had been inflicted by Satan and lost his family and his wealth and his health, he said this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So how did Job have such a foundation that his circumstances didn't determine his worship? If you've read the book of Job, you know Job, Job is struggling big time, saying, God, why? Why? So there's no wrong, nothing wrong with asking why. But Job had a foundation to who he was before God that his circumstances didn't determine 
whether he worshiped God or not. And so what I want to do is just give you a few verses as we move from this message into communion. Communion being probably historically the number one act of worship that Christians do. Um, historically, the 2,000 years of the church. But, but I want to take you back, and in light of Job's identity, look at our identity and ask, what is worship? Where should worship flow from? We tend to see worship as an act, I do, and most commonly today, we associate it with music. And that certainly is worship, or rather an occasion for worship. And by the way, when you walk out of a service and say, man, that was a beautiful worship service, and always remember this, you and I don't determine what good worship is, whether he was worshiped or not. We can certainly say, I related to that, I felt good, my emotions are high, I love the truth taught. But God determines whether he was worshipped. And, and just as Job, I believe God was worshipped when Job said that. And let, let, me, let me give you why. Let me read two verses to two passages that talk about who we are and what Christ has done for us. And they're not, they're not directly about worship. Galatians 1, 2, 19 and 20. Paul says this, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Or, or some translations, NIV said, I might live for God. So this is, this is Paul's exchange, that Jesus took my sin, he died, he gave me his righteousness, I'm alive. So Paul says, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we have this exchange, he died in my place and he made me alive so that I could live for God. You got that so far? There's an exchange, the result is you live for God. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 um, gives more detail. For the love of Christ controls us, or compels us is one translation. This is Christ's love for you, all right? It, you know, some people say it's our love for Christ, but I don't think that's the context. Christ's love for you controls you because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died. There's the exchange. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So you see the exchange again. He died so we could live, but we might live to do what? What does it say there in verse 15? No longer live for ourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So here's my point. Let's not reduce worship to an act that we do each week on Sunday morning or whenever you personally worship the Lord. Let's, let's see those times as outflows of an entire life of worship. By these passages, I would suggest worship is defined that I am alive to serve God. That's the Galatians one, or the Second Corinthians one, that he died that I would no longer live for myself, but live for him. And so let's just step back for a moment before we participate in communion. And I want you to put your shoes, put yourself in the shoes of Adam and Eve. Okay? This can be a very simplistic and very brief overview of history. Okay? You're Adam and Eve. God has created you in his image. You're his image bearer. You reflect his character to the entire world around you, which, which since we weren't there, we don't know all that that entailed. 
but you are the image bearer of God. He put you in the garden, this gorgeous place, and, and said, all of this is yours. Do as you please, eat as you please, except one thing. He prohibited them from eating from one tree. And what'd they do? They ate from the one tree. Sin comes into the world. So the image bearers now, who had perfect fellowship with God, it said they were naked, they were not ashamed. The first thing they do is they cover themselves and hide from each other, and they hide from God. God comes in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? God knew. He's trying to get Adam to confess. Who told you you were naked? You see, shame has come in now. Shame has come in because of their sin. God excludes them from the garden. So now sin has separated them from their God excludes them from the garden so they could not eat from the tree of life and live forever in their sin. It was actually an act of grace to remove them from the garden. So I kind of went from us to them. So that's the condition Christ comes to save you and I from. You see, we, his image bearers, turned our back on him and did our own thing. We are no longer representing him in the world. We're no longer... um, reflecting his glory, which is a constant worship, now we're reflecting our own in selfishness. So what does God do? He doesn't write us off. He doesn't just damn us all and start over. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, becomes one of us and dies the death we were supposed to die in order to give us the life that we lost and gave up and the righteousness that we had before. So he took our sin and death to give us the life to restore us back to his image bearers so we can now live that life of honor and glory called worship. So here's my suggestion to you as we finish this service in communion and get ready for tonight. Tonight is an opportunity to come and worship the Lord through music. But it should be a reflection of our walk with God, not simply an event that we don't think about in a deeper way and prepare our hearts for. Too often, you know the phrase, raise holy hands to the Lord? What does that mean? Raise holy hands. So I think sometimes because we we call ourselves Christians and we live the life we want to live, Daryl's second point, you know, our possessions and the the pleasures we have in life, second and third point. And then we come and give God his due. And maybe, you know, our day was filled with selfishness and sin, but we come tonight and we just worship him and we leave here saying, oh, that was wonderful worship. Were our hands holy? I, I would say genuine worship happens when I grasp who I am before our God I was a sinner whom he saved, restored me back to his image bearer, calls me a saint, has given me his spirit to empower me to live the life he created me for, which was a life of honor and service to others and glory for him. That's worship. Then when I step into this church and I sing a song, or I preach a sermon, or, or I, I write a check to support India this afternoon, or I do whatever it is I do to love my neighbor, all those are acts of worship. Anytime God is honored, you have worshiped him. Then when we step into tonight and deliberately put a focus on his character 
and his mercy and his deeds in our life, he is greatly honored. So are you with me on this? I know this is nothing new to most of you, but I truly hope that tonight you come back having thought through who you are, the exchange that took place, that Christ took your sin and gave you his life. And to come back and say thank you tonight. And there's something about doing it corporately that honors him and gives zeal and life to us. So I hope this room is full tonight. What I'd like to do now is move to communion. And the ushers are going to come forward. Often we read the text from Luke chapter 22 or 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You've heard those many times. I'm not going to read those today. The bread of the communion represents the body of Christ. The fact that he lived in a human body and sinless. The cup represents the blood of Christ. He gave up his life. Life is in the blood. If you've taken communion here before or other places, you, you know those details. But I want us to give thought today as you come forward. I want you to come forward. The ushers will hand you the elements and go sit back down. We will partake together. I want you to start thinking of worship. How am I worshiping the Lord by participating in these elements today? And when you sit back down, we're going to have a couple people read some scripture to you. So just listen for the scriptures to be read. So please come forward and get the elements and then sit back down. Daryl's first point was false worship is the worship of other gods. Listen to the reading of Psalm 86, 8 through 10. Oh, Mario, please. Psalms 86, verse 8. Among the gods, there is none like you, 
O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring you glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Do you believe that today, that there's only one God? You alone are only God. Psalm 95, 1 through 7 addresses all aspects of our life and worship. Please. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In the hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. That psalm ends on the image of he's the shepherd, we are the sheep. The New Testament brings to us the fact that Jesus is the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd and we are his sheep and we are the sheep of his pasture. We are the people of Jesus. But the New Testament also brings in a a paradox. Jesus is not only the shepherd, but he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you would take the bread. Jesus takes away the sins of the world by becoming like us. He became human. He lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we were supposed to die. So today we participate in this bread, remembering his life that he lived in a human body just like yours and mine. We thank you, Father, for this memorial, and even greater than that, Lord, the truth that rests behind this, that our great Savior, Jesus Christ, became the Lamb of God who took away our sins. Thank you, Jesus. again, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb, and this is, this is to us modern people, is, is um, our sensibilities don't like these things, that an animal had to die. But the Israelites would take a knife and slit the throat of the Lamb, and the Lamb would bleed out. Because Leviticus says there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Christ shed his blood give us life. Father, again, we thank you for your plan, plan that no one could come up with, Lord. 
that's so ironic, upside down, nonsensical to us, Lord. We can't earn a thing, as Daryl has told us, but you've lavished it all upon us. You've accomplished it all. Thank you. In your son's name, we praise you. we stand together and sing our last song. Elena, seven o'clock tonight? Yes. yes. I am truly hope to see you all here seven o'clock tonight. And remember, Jessica will be outside if you have any questions for Jessica and about her heart for children's ministry.
Hopefully we'll see you tonight and have a good rest of your Sunday.